This is a Lip Media Podcast. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wulgarukaba, Bindle and Wurundjeri peoples. The country we now call Australia was built on the stolen lands of hundreds of unique Indigenous nations, and we recognise that as white women, we continue to partake in and benefit from the act of colonisation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Hello, welcome to Book Slut. My name is Sam and with me I have my partner in crime, (laughs) Abby. Topical. (laughs) So I read a book called Lesbian Cops. (laughs) It's really, they've let themselves down on on the title, really. Well, wait for it. The second, like the subtitle is erotic investigations (laughs) okay i take it all back (laughs) so today we're going to talk a bit about um i guess the the sexualization of police and how that kind of plays out as will soon be revealed abby and i have both uh (laughs) dabbled (laughs) you've both dabbled in uh abolition theory and we're definitely going to reveal um, our hand today a bit, I think, about our politics on this topic. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting, like, I'm very excited for it. The police, to me, are a very kind of complicated organisation. Um, Absolutely. And I think, you know, we both, again, laying cards on the table, we both align more on the ACAB side of things than... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> than the other. Um, I've come and- across quite a few people on dating apps that have ACAB in their profile now. I'm like, oh. I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like it really took off after Black Lives Matter. It's become like there's quite an upsurge. And for people like myself who have been semi-quiet abolitionists for some time. Just it's- brewing under- <laughs> underneath. <laughs> It's it's been really exciting to see people thinking about alternative mechanisms for um, community safety, which is which is what, if the police were functioning, is what they should be working towards. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna try and hold back on like all of the abolitionist <laughs> discussions I want to bring into this. So this book I, is a I got it in hard copy. It is not a um scamazon purchase wow yeah i'm so proud of you yep i went out of my way to go and buy it and i think that the story of buying it is actually really relevant to this because i went to this bookstore in fitzroy which is really famous it's called hairs and hyenas and it's i think it's australia's like most famous gay bookstore and it's great love it in there i ended up buying way more than just this but um (laughs) It was funny because like, I went up to the counter and I was like, I am not shy about buying erotica by this point. Like we've been doing this for long enough that I'm like, yeah, this is what I'm buying. Do you want to scroll through my Kindle? <laughs> <laughs> but I got up there and I was like, oh my God, I am mortified by buying this book about police erotica. Mm. And I felt my like I started to... You know, do that thing where you're like, oh, yeah, it's for a project. I'm research. (laughs) And the guy behind the counter was like, "Mm mm-hmm, okay. And I was like, no, 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 really, I have a podcast. (laughs) But we got into this this discussion 
Because for people who don't know, in 2019, Hares and Hyenas was raided by the cops and it ended up being like super violent. One of the people who was um, on the premises, I think one of the owners, I can't remember, my memory's failing me. My understanding Um, is that the owner sleeps above the store or there's a residence above the store and the cops went into the residence. Yeah. So that man ended up in hospital with like really severe injuries like several broken bones and like arm pulled from his socket uh essentially and it was really horrific so we like had a bit of a it was just kind of this like awkward funny awful but kind of sweet conversation at the counter about like police and kink and like (laughs) brutality but them being hot it was very awkward um but they were lovely about it and I think I maybe convinced them that I wasn't into cops but anyway (laughs) I think, and it is it is hard. Like police have had a really uh, bad relationship with kink with the LGBTIQ community. Policing fundamentally is around enforcing the laws of the state, and yeah. if your lifestyle is outlawed by the state, then the police are the ones that you have the interactions with mm. who enforce those laws. So. It's, to me, very understandable that minority groups, that, you know, a whole bunch of people do not consider the police to be safe. They consider them the absolute opposite. Absolutely. For just to like an update on that, the whole hairs and hyenas situation, um, IBAC found that there was no excessive use of force in Aww. the raid. So, you know, police accountability is alive and well in Australia. <laughs> I am not going to say what I want to say about IBAC. That is, <laughs> that <laughs> is where you I'm draw gonna, the line. <laughs> that is where I'm going to draw the line. So um, this is a collection of... Uh, short stories the first one i wanted to tell you about this is just a short and sweet one is called how does your garden grow and it's set in australia which i was like oh uh, in queensland actually your, your neck of the woods in this story this policewoman goes out to out to the bush to investigate a tip-off about the, some woman um growing pot in her backyard in her veggie garden and this woman uh finds this policewoman searching through her garden and eating raspberries and like fruit and stuff from her garden what the hell get a warrant fucking hell (laughs) yeah i mean firstly (laughs) also like are you a gremlin like what where are your manners she's like i don't know (laughs) my tuna strawberries (laughs) anyway because one of the things that fascinates me about this idea is like, how do you get from like an interaction with the police? Like, how, what are the, what is the erotic context where it escalates to having sex with them? Um, and in this story, it was as simple as um, she wiped some of the the raspberry off her face, and then it was on. Right. So they end up having sex outside, and it was like it was actually quite nice. Like the sun was shining, and like they have sex in the garden, and. I wonder they, if this was written when the gay panic defense was still a thing in Queensland. Oh, <laughs> I'm, that just, adds. I'm just saying it's real dangerous. <laughs> Fucking hell. How long? When was that? When did that? Um, When was that? I'm going to Google. It's going to be like alarmingly recent, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Queensland. 2017. Ooh, this was written in 2011. <laughs> oh. Yeah. That's so bleak. Anyway, but this uh, story is much more, you know, a happy ending. 
<laughs> yeah, well, they they have like quite pleasant sex, and there's a lot of focus on how much pubic hair this woman has. They've kind of framed which her one, as... the police or the no, pot no, the growing the pot grower, <laughs> <laughs> right? And I'll keep this one brief because there's not a lot to it. They essentially have sex in the sun, and then afterwards, the woman is like, "Now what?" And then the police officer is like. Now I need to check the house, ma'am. I have a tip-off about something that may be hidden in your bed. Do I need a search warrant? And then they go into her house to keep having sex. <laughs> I mean, why the ruse at that point? Like, well, yeah. I don't think it was a ruse. I think it was like, a, a. I'm a police officer. I have immense power over you. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> so that was just a light and breezy one before we... Just a little warm-up. Yeah, great. Can't wait. So the next one is called Cop at My Door. And I like I think it's worth highlighting here that, like you said, the interactions with police will, will vary greatly depending on who you are. And so if you're a white woman and there's a cop at your door, it's likely to be a very different experience to if you are an Indigenous person or a Black person or a person of colour. Mm. Um, and all of the stories I read in this – absolutely felt like white women um yeah they wouldn't they would read completely different if they were written if they were written for an audience that was anyone other than um people who have no reason to necessarily fear the police at first yeah and something that we need to keep in the forefront of our mind that even now as a as a white woman you know i remember when i started to distrust the police and a lot of that was around the work that i was doing at the time and seeing the way that they treated people but i still don't fear them yeah you know like and that's that's a massive difference and that's because i'm a white woman i understand that if i go up to the police they're probably going to help me yeah yeah um and so my interactions with them are colored by that, you know? And and also, you know, I'm a, I'm a white woman who comes from a middle-class family. I was taught that, you know, if there are problems, you call the police. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm the same and important to keep that in mind. And it's something that definitely, I really struggled with the sort of like erotic side of these stories because it was just like underpinned while reading it being like, ugh, it's just not... It's just not how it would go down, you know? And it's, and it's interesting. It's interesting to me, like, the eroticization of, of police and, and the army in particular um, mm. because I just – I don't get it anymore. And I wonder yeah. if – like, I was never really exposed to erotica in, involving army or police, you know, when I was younger. But I wonder if before I'd had as many interactions with police as I have had now – if I had come across this, if I would get it. And the reason that I don't get it now is because if I see somebody in a uniform or a cop in, in uniform, I'm automatically on edge, you know, like thinking about what's going on, checking where my phone is if I need to take a video, you know. Like yeah, absolutely. That, absolutely. That really uh, harsh the, the erotic desire within me. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely the same. I I cannot stress enough how unarousing I find the police to be. <laughs> Sexually, at least. Like, arousing of, like, discomfort, sure, but... I looked into a bit about, you know, how... Essentially, this idea of a man in uniform, 
right? Mm. And mm. and why it's such a common trope and why people find it attractive. There were a few kind of common threads that came up in my very scientific research on Quora. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a vast array of uh, sources in our bibliography. <laughs> It's interesting because the same reason that they were saying this is why women are attracted to men in uniform is the same reason why I'm automatically not. It's because of those immediate connotations between a uniform and all of these personality traits. Mm -hmm. So they were saying like women are attracted to men in uniform because of the idea of chivalry. You know, you think that the person's going to be a gentleman and all of this. (laughs) Um, authority. No. Which I also, you know, I have a problem I mean, with you authority. had a problem with authority since you've been like a kid at school. <laughs> Bravery and commitment. You know, it's like these connotations that you have with someone's uniform. It's about, it's about their job and what you think their job is. Whereas mm. for me, my immediate connotations are completely different to that. So... It makes sense to me that if I see someone with a uniform, I'm going to be like, oh, nope. My vagina is going to shrivel up inside itself. (laughs) Whereas another woman will see that uniform and, yeah, will absolutely think this this person is a hero, so brave, whatever. I find the hero thing interesting because, say, some strippers rocked up at my house. What are you doing here? <laughs> Come in. Would you like to inspect my bed? <laughs> um, I would be down for a fireman stripper, but mm. I would not be down for a policeman stripper. No, and, exactly, exactly. Um, and it's I don't know if it's the if it's the hero thing that would get me going with the fireman, but I mean I don't know. They're just they're kind of hot, you know. <laughs> it's the suspenders. Police don't have suspenders. Oh, yes. <laughs> Good point. Good and point. And the hard hat. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I read this study, actually, that was done um, in 2015. And it was an archival study on U.S. American soldiers who fought in World War II. Oh, okay. So they did a control sample of 449 regular veterans and 123 surviving Medal of Honor recipients. And they found that the people who had won the Medal of Honor sired more offspring than regular veterans. And they were talking about it's a causal link between heroism and mating success and how, you know, there's this essentially, I mean, they were positing it as like a biological need of women to essentially like (laughs) have babies with heroes (laughs) and and right. Did they try to relate it back to being like, well, in cavemen days? Yeah, I saw a few of that. I don't know if this study did, but I saw that in a few things. Um, yeah. I saw it on Quora, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I'd expect it to come up. <laughs> um, but they said they, they found evidence that female participants specifically regard men more sexually attractive if they are war heroes. Then it said... This effect is absent for male participants, participants judging female war heroes, suggesting that bravery in war is a gender-specific signal. Ugh, I mean, that's <laughs> unsurprising. But, and then my final thing about the, the uniform is that my favourite explanation for it, so it was a lot of this chivalry, bravery, blah, 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 blah. 
but my favorite was called Gift Appeal. And it says... Gift Appeal? Yeah. <laughs> so it's essentially like unwrapping somebody. You know, like like their uniform is oh. like they're wrapping. <laughs> You're right. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean... I think there's something about it being so like starched and... And, you know, like, a lot of these uniforms are real, like, I guess kind of crisp crisp, and and kind of they look quite constrictive to me. Like, you know, it's kind of like Mm. a little bit of messing someone up. Yeah, right. Yeah, I can see that. I think it's interesting that, like, like, obviously uniforms come up a lot in sexual fantasies and, and kink. They are often really gendered as well. Things like a police uniform, army uniform. You see them obviously on on men, but also when they are worn by women, they are highly gendered. Mm. That you know, become like sexy, sexy, yeah, sexy cop, and and you know, but then, but but then there are ones for women, like the nurse, that you don't really see French maid that you don't really see on men, and they're all of the yeah, you know, what would be considered caring, more kind of submissive uniforms than things like policemen, firemen. Sorry, police person, fire person. We should probably stop saying policeman. Yeah, that's true. Good point. The some of the um the ones that are coded for women are like French maid, schoolgirl, lots of problems mm. associated with that one. Cheerleader, mm. lots of problems <laughs> associated with that one. <laughs> like, like you would never can you imagine? Can you imagine it being like, oh yeah, I just I just love it when my man dresses up like a schoolboy. <laughs> like, you just, it's just not a I thing. Mean, it probably is to an extent in like age play, things like that. There would, true, there would be true. men who, but it's, who do, but it's not a but common it's thing. Not, in, like, it's not a pop culture. Mainstream. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like everybody would have a scene from a movie or a scene from a TV show where there's a sexy nurse or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, and when a woman does dress up as police, it's always a kind of flip on what's considered the normal dominant submissive roles. Totally. Um, which part of me is like, yeah, no, I totally, I get the dominant submissive part. Like, why do we have to involve a badge? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that will come up in one of the other stories as well. Like how this kind of plays into power play and authority. Um and I, uh, on the one hand, I get it, but on the other hand, it just makes my skin curl. <laughs> Your skin curl? Um, yeah. Cruel? Skin curl? <laughs> Cruel. <laughs> my skin just curls up off my body. <laughs> Ew. Gross. Um, should we get back yeah, to let's, the let's sexy go. stuff? <laughs> let's, let's get onto the erotica, shall we? <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so, <laughs> Cop at My Door is the story's name. Um, and so it's about these two women housemates, their best friends, Morgan and Lisa, um, and their neighbor, who is always calling the police to make complaints about them for like uh, totally unreasonable things, you know. And so one of the housemates, Morgan, has a crush on this policewoman who always comes to the house when these complaints get made. And so the cops show up and Morgan's friend Lisa is... She does a solid uh, wing woman move and calls away the other police officer so that Morgan can have some alone time with her crush. Ooh. Ooh. And so they flirt a little. Um, and they're obviously like they've 
been in this situation like a number yeah. of times because this neighbor has got a real bee in her bonnet. And so they flirt a little. And then as the cops are leaving, Morgan is like, well, until next time, I guess, make sure you bring the uniform. It does something for you. (laughs) (laughs) And I cringe. Oh, my God. Mortifying that you would say that. (laughs) Were you there? Or I don't know. In my early 20s, I was at Spleen in Melbourne. And Spleen, Spleen. the queen of Spleen. (laughs) And uh, which is a bar. (laughs) <laughs> and um, I met these cops there. Did I tell you? Did I tell you? I don't and, know. I can't like, remember. They were, they were chatting to me. They were older, older gentlemen. I was in my early 20s. I was like, you know, what do you do? And they were like, oh, we're cops. And I was like, bullshit, you're cops. Like, what are you doing in spleen? <laughs> um, like, sure, whatever. I full on didn't believe them. And he's like, all right, well, do you want to see my badge? Ugh. And I was like, yeah, fine. Show, like, show it. And so he showed me his badge, and I was like, eh, you can get those at, like, dress-up stores. I still don't believe it. <laughs> I don't. And he was full-on, like, using his copdom as a pickup technique. Gross. But, like, this... Gross. <laughs> he was unprepared for me being like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. And I'm not surprised by that at all. Like, I bet it happens all the time. Mm. <laughs> Just imagine you being, like, super belligerent at spleen, being like, nah, it's not even real. And then I was Get like, backed. why would anybody just walk around with a make-believe police badge in their pocket? Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a huge red flag. <laughs> I was just making him into even more of a creep. He was like, you have the right to remain sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) Okay, so she says this terrible line to this cop um, and they leave. Later on that evening, Morgan's at home. Um, Lisa's gone out on a date. Good one, Lisa. (laughs) and then Officer Brewer is the name of the policewoman. Officer Brewer shows up and is just like, oh, I just wanted to check on you. <laughs> and Morgan's like, okay. <laughs> um, so she invites her in for a drink. She's still in her uniform at this point. She's off duty, but she's still in her uniform. And Morgan's like internally frothing the uniform. <laughs> And so they have this like really awkward conversation over over a glass of rosé. Mm. <laughs> oh, Officer Brewer, let your hair down. Right? So they're chatting and Morgan's like, oh, so, you know, what is it like to be a cop? And Officer Brewer's like, you can call me Nicole. And she's like, no, thank you. I'll call you Officer Brewer. <laughs> <laughs> call me Nicole, she said. It's a living. And then Morgan's like, well, why, you know, why did you become a police officer? And Nicole is like, because I sucked at everything else I tried. (laughs) No, if that was true, she'd be a PSO. She'd be a, like, she'd be a public transport officer. sick burn. (laughs) (laughs) So blah, blah, blah. They're having this conversation. And um, Morgan's like, well, does does it affect you? You know, like, I mean, in your head? Brewer gulped the rest of her wine. Not too many people think about that aspect of it, she said. I love my job, but it's hard sometimes. Like when you have to deal with brutality. 
like police brutality. <laughs> I mean, well. <laughs> wait it gets better worse i'm not sure how to describe this um then morgan's like oh but you don't see brutality every day do you it's hard on the streets and then so hard and then brewer's like well there's physical brutality and then there's brutality of the soul (laughs) fucking hell and then it's like and then it's like whoa her eyes bore into mine, and I knew that she was entrusting me with something special and exclusive. I felt honoured and guilty for objectifying her. Officer Brewer was not just a badge in a uniform. She was a person, and she was probably a woman who cried every now and then, if only on the inside. <laughs> Jesus. And then it's like, what wait, and then it's like, and then it's like, wait. When I finally got the gumption to speak, all I could say was, Thank you for all that you do. <laughs> I feel like I feel like uh, I feel like we do need to say this, even though I hate saying it. But like, obviously, this is very similar to you know. I'm just I'm trying to I'm trying to jump ahead of people getting on here, being like hashtag not all police. Very similar yeah, to totally. not all men. Obviously, yeah. there are good people in the police force. I have friends in the police force. Whatever. What we're talking about here are systematic issues. Yeah, and it's a good point to make because I think it can people can be quick to assume that we would be singling out individual police officers with this kind of commentary. And like sometimes that is true. Sometimes there are truly, truly awful police officers who need to be called out and to be absolutely stripped of their position of power in society. But most of the time the the things that we take issue with are those structural problems. Yeah, for instance, that are well documented. For instance, a policeman high fiving a white supremacist in a rally in Melbourne. That police officer, not great, but the fact that he could continue with his job, systemic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, and it's such, it's such a bummer that you have to even make that. I just, I hate the fact, and you know, we can get rid of this, but I do, I truly hate the fact that every time these conversations happen, you have to have these, these caveats on it, where it's like, actually, if you just exercise critical thought, you would realize that nobody is saying that every single person of anything is a certain way. You're talking about- That would be ridiculous. You're talking about broader picture things, and there can be good people who are in the police- you know, that's, it's not a mutually exclusive thing, but the system is very obviously broken. And we need to move past this. Uh, I feel, yeah. So getting back to the story, it gets, you know, there's a lot of like, uh, like idolization mm. of this role of the police officer happening in this story, mm. um, which, you know, for some that probably speaks to loudly and is like, that's really hot. And for people like me, I was like, <laughs> no thank you so then it gets a bit more awkward and the police uh the police woman leaves and then later at 1 a.m morgan's about to go to sleep and then she hears this loud knocking on her door and she's like frazzled by it which is fair because it's 1 a.m in the morning and she thinks that it's her like crazy neighbor because <laughs> neighbor <laughs> yeah and then it's nicole back again still in her uniform and that shits me like do not turn up on my doorstep at 1 a.m 
for a fucking booty call or for whatever in your uniform. Yeah. Only wear your uniform if it's official police business. Also, she'd be so stanky. Oh, absolutely. Like, what has she been doing for, like, seven yeah. hours or Do whatever? Do those things breathe? I don't know. Probably not enough for how stanky she'd not be. Not with that amount of starch in it. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't seem to phase Morgan. Um, uh, Officer Brewer pushes Morgan against the wall and there's lots of, like, passionate kissing happening. Pretty abruptly, to be honest. <laughs> That's a lot um, of fucking build-up. It's so much build-up. Like, what did she do? She just went home and thought about it for, like, seven hours and was like, I guess. I'm going like, back. I'm sorry, but, like, what? You couldn't wait until the next day and, like, send her a text yeah, and, or like, something? And, like, what were you like, doing? Like, sure, maybe a late-night booty call, but, like, 11 p.m. max, you know? Also, you have to establish that that's even on the table before you can do... Like, it is a bold move mm. to rock up on someone's door at 1 a.m. when you've never even, like overtly flirted or like kissed or anything like mm. i just the audacity of that move i cannot <laughs> deal with that <laughs> like even if i was into someone i'd be like this is bold yeah. i'd be like what are you doing i'd be like look i think you're hot but i'm gonna have to say no on principle and you've done this yeah this is like quite a pathetic move that you've done but, you know, Morgan's fine with it. They um, are making out and it's really hot in the house. So she suggests that they go out the back into the backyard. Wait, so they're like, they're like making out in the house. And yeah. then she's like, wow, it's just really hot. Let's go outside. Like, not like, let's take yeah. off our clothes. No, I, I don't like- know. <laughs> Apparently it's really hot. Like, it's a hot summer's night. 1 a.m. steamy <laughs> okay. hot. All right. <laughs> so Nicole goes to go down on Morgan. She's sitting on like a bench thing. And Morgan's like all hot and bothered. Like she's been fantasizing about this for months. Um, So she's like ready, ready to go. And then Nicole kind of like lingers teasing her. And it's like, I opened my eyes to see her looking up at me with a smirk. She was tormenting me, but I knew it was only to assert control. I could see how she probably made a great cop. Mm, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing more we can really say on that. Our opinion is already clear. It is known. Um, anyway, so she has this wild orgasm. They go over to the fence and then Morgan gets down on her knees and essentially Nicole kind of like fucks her face. Yeah, that's the best way to describe what happens then. Why is there so much movement? Like, it's like every every new position re- needs to be in a new spot in the house. Like, why? <laughs> I don't and know. Now we'll walk to no the idea. Bench. And now we'll walk to a bench. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that, but no idea. <laughs> and then afterwards, once um, Nicole has come and she's done, she's like done up her pants. Nicole's like, yum. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I just. I can't. Oh. I cannot. <laughs> it would only be worse if she was like, mm, yummy. Oh. <laughs> oh, you look like you were like physically repulsed. Then yeah, I did. I had a real physical reaction to that. <laughs> I really don't like, I don't like comments on taste during sex. Oh, like you taste really yeah, good. Or... No, I don't enjoy it. Huh, that's interesting. Mm. I learned so much about you throughout this, and so does everyone else. <laughs> we learn together. I learn about myself as well. 
same. It's really <laughs> nice. And I love that it's like, yes, Abby, tell me about your sexual preferences and also your beliefs on abolition. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're you're a complex, complex lady. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like kick somebody out for doing it, but I just always am like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Yummy. Get out. <laughs> Time to leave. <laughs> you have broken one of my unspeakable rules. Uh, well, I think now is a good time to take a quick break, and then I'll tell you my the last story. Goodio. Goodio? <laughs> He's not in Get out. <laughs> I was really hoping that would fly under the radar. <laughs> no. no way. <laughs> That's too good. <laughs> I'm crying. (laughs) The last story I want to tell you about is called Hollis. It's set at a anti-terrorism boot camp. (laughs) Sexy. Doesn't sound like fucking Cadet Kelly or some shit. Oh my god! It's so funny you bring that up because that is exactly. what i had in mind <laughs> reading this story but, you know for those who have seen it hold that hold that image in your mm. mind throughout this story all right so they are in the middle of a drill and this is the story is told from the perspective of the protagonist whose name is jen so the leader who's called special agent hollis <laughs> sorry <laughs> you know special agent hollis <laughs> there's so many titles and things hey how do you I, just I don't get confused claim. I don't claim to understand them. So Special Agent Hollis calls upon Jen to come up to the front of this group and do a demonstration about being arrested with another participant. And so Jen has to essentially act out like a role play where she's being the perp. I think that's the (laughs) logo. And uh, and this other participant is being being the um, cop. What's the color of a two cent piece? Copper, copper. <laughs> Your brain is like a beautiful flower. There's so many layers. You just peel back the petals and it keeps on giving. Hmm. <laughs> so, Jen has been fantasizing about Hollis like all afternoon because she's a real like hard ass, you know, the stereotypical. I'm just thinking that like now I'm just thinking the police is just a hotbed of lesbian fantasies well this book would lead me to believe that yes yeah okay great let's just let's go with that (laughs) i would much rather imagine that than the realities (laughs) so she's been fantasizing about hollis this whole time imagining her as like a dominatrix kind of character um because she's yeah super hard ass like really really like drilling them into the ground you know and so as she's like doing this role play jen um you know, doesn't just let herself be handcuffed. She, like, kind of resists a bit. And she's like, you know, not everyone goes down easy. And then Hollis is like, but eventually everybody goes down. Oh, my God. (laughs) And then Hollis forces her to the ground with, like, quite brute force, cuffs her, but closes the cuffs around her wrists in a, quote, tighter than any law enforcement agency allowed. And then when Jen, like, tries to, like, push up against Hollis, Hollis shoves her, like, face down, like, smashes her cheek into the grass. Hot. (sighs) Uh, (laughs) It's like, do we need to dissect Uh, the problems with this? (laughs) Hollis says, 
and this is in front of like a whole class she's like good girl and then like discreetly and gently rubs her wrist like so no one else can see it and i was just like this is fucked like this is a demonstration you're teaching police officers how to interact with people and it's like part of your like elaborate flirtation like i oh i don't know no 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 yeah i mean there's layers there it's, it's very work in a probes oh yeah but jen is loving it <laughs> Hollis tells Jen to go and wait in her office. And so Jen goes there. And then when she gets there, she like kneels down on the ground in between the floor and the desk. Like I assume there's some kind of seat in there. Seems like a weird move to me, but okay. (laughs) Is it worse if there's no seat or like there is a seat and she's just chosen to kneel? I don't know. I don't know. And like maybe it's some kind of like you know dom sub signal but that's not expressed in the book so yeah i was gonna say it it definitely is a dom sub thing but like but they don't they're not in a relationship no they've never like met before i would be very confronted if i just walked into a room and there was somebody like kneeling yeah in my office even if and i'd be like even if i was a dom i'd be like the fuck are you doing on my floor (laughs) <laughs> we didn't talk about this. How presumptuous of all you. All I did, all I did was smash your face into the ground and cuff you. Like, why are you jumping to conclusions? Absolutely. Anyway, Hollis arrives and she's like, oh, I see that you're capable of being obedient. And then she like grabs and pulls a handful of Jen's hair to like pull her head I mean, back. I it's so actually she... just, just like, just a point of contention. It's actually like not at all obedient because she was never asked to kneel. So, like, she was asked to go to the room. So just her being in the room. You are such a stickler for rules. (laughs) (laughs) You would make such a such a bitchy dom be like, "Did I tell you to kneel? Get the fuck up!" (laughs) I said, "Wait for me in the room." (laughs) You should be in a state of stasis, gravitate here. (laughs) Yeah, neither sitting nor standing. So yeah, so she grabs a handful of her hair and like sort of like pulls her head back so that they can have eye contact, essentially. And Hollis is like, you are well trained. And Jen doesn't speak. She waits for permission to speak. And then Hollis essentially instructs wow, her they to have strip. A lot, they have a lot of things happening for zero communication. Zero. And obviously the way that it's written, it's very clear that Jen is well versed in playing the role of of a sub and being submissive but none of it is spoken out loud different with different people exactly like what that is is a different and i just i mean i can't believe we're having this conversation again but you know (laughs) so hollis instructs her to strip and then she tells her to stand two steps away from the desk eyes on me bend at the waist and, and grasp the edge and so they talk a bit and it's kind of you know all along the lines of like hollis being like how dare you disrupt my class sort of like really building up this kind of dominant kind of character. Then she's like, I want you to make me come and then I'll decide on a suitable punishment for you. And like, ah, that's hot, but also. (laughs) And so Jen goes down on Hollis until she comes. And like the, the like sex parts were like pretty sexy. Um, Yeah. Which is, you know, anyway. It's a positive. Yeah. And once she comes, she instructs Jen to get onto the ground, face down, ass up. Isn't there a song that's like, face down, ass up, 
something, something. Is it? <laughs> I don't know. Face down, ass up. That's the way I like to fuck. It sounds <laughs> like a cheerleading chant. Like, face down, face ass, down up. ass up. <laughs> That's the way we like to fuck. F-U-C-K, a- fuck. <laughs> While she's got her face down, um, Hollis starts getting out of an array of props. Uh, she gets out a, a... In her office? Yeah. Hollis. Well, I mean, they're everyday items. They're things like, you know, <laughs> just things you'd have lying around, like a like a wooden hairbrush and like a like a ruler and like a riding crop, you know, just like everyday stuff. Oh, every everyday anti-terrorism <laughs> stuff. And so she gets the she she gets the riding crop and she starts to to whip Jen. Would we call it whip if it's with a riding crop? What's the appropriate word for that? Because it's not a whip, no, it's know. a crop. I feel like that's something... Cropter? I feel like it's something that we should have learned from my dad wrote a porno, but I I don't think I learned much from I don't that. Think, I, don't, I was going to say, I don't think we should have learned anything <laughs> from my dad wrote a porno. <laughs> except for what not to learn. Yeah. Um, so she starts... I'm just going to say whipping. She starts whipping her with this riding crop, and Hollis is like... Feel free to count if it helps or cry if you need to. And so Jen's counting as she's whipping her. She gets to 15 and it notes the cool counterpoint of Hollis's hand as she comforted the reddened skin relaxed Jen and a tear slipped from her eye. And like, I, I did like the inclusion of that. It's a very, it's like a nod to, to like, a bit of aftercare, but I mean, mm. what's a little bit of aftercare in a sea of like problematic lack of consent <laughs> and communication? It's good. It's good to note the positive things, Sam. Yep. It's good to it's note. Like a, it's a little, it's a little crumb, little crumb to keep us going. <laughs> Love kernels. And then Hollis spreads Jen's butt cheeks apart and starts giving her a rim job. And you know, starts talking about how like if she had a strap on in her office, she would. Fuck Jen in the ass so hard that she'd come for weeks. I'm surprised she doesn't have a strap on. In I her mean, office. with she everything else she has, it everything around. else. <laughs> like, where's the line? <laughs> oh yeah, she's also got nipple clamps in her office. I mean, come on. Which she starts playing with on on Jen, and she also starts fingering her. She's using three fingers and then increasing to four. And this is a quote, um, before Jen was ready and the stretching pressure pain almost made Jen come immediately, but she wasn't allowed to yet. And I got to say, four fingers without any warning. That's a lot of, that's so many fingers. That's, that's many fingers. You know what I consider whenever it's like written about four fingers? I'm always like, is it in like a pincery? Mm. Is it four like flat like fingers? a flat palm because that's that's yeah. a, that's a lot of girth. that's very wide yeah. yeah or is it like but you can't really get four fingers unless you don't use your pinky i guess your pinky's just like <laughs> sitting out like you're sipping tea <laughs> like a weird duck head going into somebody's also vagina. if you do it that way apologies to everyone listening who can't see us trying to do this over video chat um <laughs> you don't get a whole lot of depth that way. No, it would be a very shallow kind of eh, eh, eh. Yeah. Eh. See, like, I would prefer, like, two fingers with a come-hither motion any day over, like, a weird shallow duck beak situation. Yeah, or, like, 
if you're four, is it, do you still do like the come hither and it's just like your whole, like touching your whole insides? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have answers to that. I've never, I've never had four fingers. I've never I've- either. I think that's becoming very clear from this conversation. <laughs> I think people listening would be like, you have no idea. (laughs) And I don't. I truly don't. (laughs) No, I don't either. Logistically, uh, you know, I'd give it a try. I guess I could put four fingers inside of myself. Again, you wouldn't get the kind of um, length. Like, unless you got really, have you got really long arms? (laughs) No, that's true. You'd really have to like curl your arm around yourself (laughs) yeah yeah i don't think you'd be able to like lie on your back you'd have to like hunch over like standing (laughs) (laughs) i was picturing like curled in a figure c on the bed oh yeah that fetal position (laughs) that was not standing up hunch (laughs) yeah look either way it's not sounding like super sexy so uh yeah i'd put some i'd put a candle on oh it's nice romance yourself (laughs) (laughs) like to romance myself before a four finger treat (laughs) like looming up four fingers here we go (laughs) um (laughs) well okay so where are we four fingers not allowed to come eventually hollis um you know asks if she would like to come because, you know, part of the power play is withholding the orgasm, which I get. That's very hot. I'm also really impressed when people can uh, control it to that extent. Um, yeah, me too. I'm always like, oh, I always run into trouble with that. <laughs> like, it's either happening or it's not happening. I don't really have this, like, this thing where I can just be like, hold off, hold off. I guess you'll just, you'll never be a, you know... A completely subservient sub. That's your, you know. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll just be a brat. I was just gonna say you could be an orgasmy brat. <laughs> I'll be, a, I'll be an orgasm brat. I love that. I love that for you. Finally, Hollis like asks her if she wants to come, and then Jen begged and cried, unable to think beyond the pounding fist in her cunt and the nut. Whoa. Yeah, it turned into a fist. I Like, that came out of nowhere in this book. I was like, well, hello. We went from four fingers to a fist real quick. To go in with the four fingers, then curl up. No, that, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no. Surely duck. It has to be duck bill at this point. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a lot. I don't have experience with fisting, but I have heard that the duck bill, but then, and then once you're in, like, spreading the fingers apart, I've heard that that is a fucking wild ride if you're into it. Well, that used to be, that used to be a medieval torture device. Oh, was... God. <laughs> I mean, not with someone's hand. It was called, I'm pretty sure it's called, like, the pear or something. It looks like a pear. Oh, it's yeah. It's like a metal machine, and then it would go, it would be inserted into a woman's vagina, and then it would just be, like, spread like beyond kind of what a hand would do in there that's fucked this is why i'm terrible at fisting not thinking about oh. things during sex because <laughs> <laughs> i'd be like here's a fun fact <laughs> uh unable to think beyond the pounding fist in her cunt and the lightning sharp pressure on her nipples Jen opened herself up to the pressure in her cunt. A lot of use of the word cunt. I'm, I'm into it. It's good. 
Um, Although to the pressure in her counterclit, her nipples, the dark blurry edges of her vision overpowered the light and she surrendered, falling headfirst into the abyss. Did she faint? Well, I think she goes into subspace essentially Ah. um, and kind of like blacks out a little bit. And eventually when she comes to, uh, Hollis has got dressed, she's put away all of her props and then she just says, tomorrow, try not to disrupt my class again. And then walks out. And I was like, fucking boss move. Oh, that's a power that's, move. It's really that's good. Such a power move. <laughs> I mean, you know, as I said, problematic, but that is, that's a mic drop. Right? Moment. That's very so good. So good. I didn't love any of them. I thought they were a bit cringe at times, but interesting to, to see how the authors sort of played with the power dynamics of cops. Yeah, I think, so I read this article that goes gets my award for favourite article names. Ooh. It's called, What You Gonna Do When They Come All Over You? That's great. <laughs> Shit, yeah. It was, it was called, What Police Themes in Male Erotic Video Reveal About Leather Sexual Subjectivity? It was written in 2003, so it, it was essentially around police themes in gay porn and there's just one line that i thought was kind of sums up a lot of what we're saying in a very smart academic way i was saying the very figure of the cop who embodies the coercive power of the state therefore is seen as both benevolent and menacing protector and oppressor oh that is good right i think that that's kind of the thing like it's police have this all of these ideals attached to them even if you are from a group that faces police oppression Mm. the mainstream story of police is them as protectors Mm. yeah so it's also kind of dealing with this dichotomy that you have to kind of hold you know yeah totally and i think it really captures very nicely the kind of like complexities that are part of this topic like it's not as simple as them being one or the other it is both at the same time and that mm. makes it yeah just a bit more tricky to grapple with than just like um thinking in in more of a like a uh, binary yeah that's the word i was looking for <laughs> i think and i think it's really interesting to think of like with black lives matter and all of this stuff coming out there has been a lot more of a focus on the way that we are presented stories about the police so for instance brooklyn 99 they came out, Andy Samberg came out with this whole thing about that they would be looking at the ways that they represented police in their show. Yep. And there are so many shows about police, whether that's, you know, these detectives or bumbling cops or whatever. But I think it's interesting to think about what their representation in erotica does for people. Yeah, definitely. You know, and I'm not sure it necessarily... Like, I'm not sure it necessarily humanizes the police, or at least the ones that you've read seem to still have this real distinct, because the the fetishization is on them as police, there's this real distinct line between police and civilians. Yeah, definitely. Even when they're naked and fisting somebody. Yeah, and there was definitely, like, yeah, this was sort of recurrent theme of authority and that clear distinction of being like, they are, they are the one who holds the power in this situation. Um, and like how that can be part of a sexual dynamic. Um, it wasn't about getting to know the human inside, you know, it was about how can we leverage this to be part of the sexual fantasy? Yeah. I also think something that was interesting about this book in particular that we haven't really spoken about, but is worth just, you know, 
I think it's worth bringing up is that we often mm, sexualize women in roles that are traditionally held by men. Like when you think of women who are, you know, police women, if you think of women who play sports, women who join the military, women who work as tradies, often these women also get kind of labeled as lesbians because they are. Mm. And I'm sure plenty of them are, but um, they because they occupy this kind of like traditionally masculine space, which I think is interesting. I uh, I read some parts of a report that came out in 2015, um, which found it, it was about sexual harassment in the Victorian police force in particular, and then there was also another report in 2019. They both said largely the same thing that it's unacceptably high. Um, particularly of the police women um, in the force. And what they sort of went into was that being a victim of sexual harassment or predatory behaviour or sex discrimination as a, as a police officer is not seen as being consistent with this kind of like overarching identity of being a strong and resilient police officer because that's the kind of culture that they're expected to adhere to to be strong and unemotional to not need to seek assistance to be you know impenetrable by the kinds of traumatic shit that they are expected to face all the time and therefore apply that to their own you know work places and lives and whatnot as well and so Mm. this report was kind of going into how because often the police culture also comes with this kind of like strong personal identification with the role like people personally identify with the role they put you through so much so you kind of start to bond like a family um Mm. and so all of these things like feed off each other to create this this culture where you you're not able to sort of express your emotions healthily and then they kind of manifest into all kinds of outcomes one of which being you know a huge amount of sexual harassment and a lot of which just goes without being reported because that's not in line with the expectations. And I think that's really an important point. I found like, just to sort of wrap it up, I went into this super fascinated, sort of like, as you said at the beginning, really fascinated about the way that these issues intersect and how they intersect with like specifically how we sexualize people in these positions of power. And I was mind blown that there is not a lot out there in the academic world about this um you know plenty of work has been done in the space of like the role that police play in society at large but there just doesn't seem to be much in terms of how it you know how it interacts with sexuality essentially which i just found to be a shame and also fascinating at at the lack of it really Yeah, I had the same thing. Like, there was very, very little about this aspect of people's lives, particularly for something that, like, you know, as you say, you get strippers. Yeah, it's super common. And it's always, like, a police, someone, like, a police person. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it would be really easy to listen to this episode and consider that, you know, we're massive downers and and we hate cops and whatever. (laughs) And I mean, if that's if that's the way you want to think, that's fine. But I think, um, and I was trying to find the quote, and I, I can't, I can't entirely find it. But it's another like amazing abolitionist, Kaba, Mariam Kaba. It's essentially, you know, what we're talking about isn't it. It isn't about like 
hatred of any one group or trying to destroy any one group. It's about focusing on safety and what is it that makes our community safe. And we have gotten report after report after report that tells us that increased policing does not make communities safer. It does not make the people in the communities feel safer. What we're saying is we need to kind of think beyond that. Yeah. A lot of very like well-known abolitionists have talked at length about how it's, you know, it's not about taking things away. It's about adding in things to create the kind of communities and society where we don't need policing and prisons as a air quote solution. Yeah. So really this is just abolitionist propaganda wrapped up in erotica. (laughs) That's, yeah, that's exactly what it is. (laughs) You're all welcome. Mm, Books love.